Back in the day when my girls were born, it was not easy to share photos and videos with loved ones, but you have a fantastic option available, the Family Album app. The Family Album app was created in 2015 and has operated in the long term to give parents a secure and easy way to share photos and videos with loved ones. It's a totally secure personal haven for your family's memories. I love that there's no third-party ads, no unwanted eyes. Now, let me share some of the great features that make the Family Album app a go-to app. First off, the app automatically sorts photos and videos by month, allowing you to swipe back in time and see how your child has grown. No more scrolling through endless feeds or searching through folders. Another cool feature about the Family Album app is you can order eight free photo prints every month to be delivered to your home. It's really nice to have some tangible pictures to hold onto or share to document each month of your baby's life. Plus, the Family Album app has unlimited storage and it is totally free. Yes, you heard that right. No more worrying about running out of space or being bombarded by ads when you're just trying to relive those heartwarming moments. So if you are still trying to use other messaging apps for your kids' photos, it is time to level up your family photo game with a free photo sharing app. Head over to the App Store today, search Family Album, it's all one word, download the app and start creating a legacy of love one photo at a time. Don't let diaper rash come between you and your baby. Diaper rash can be one of the worst experiences your little one has to go through and keeping their delicate skin happy and healthy shouldn't require a spatula to apply thick, goopy treatments that can be just as irritating and uncomfortable as the diaper rash. Instead, try Dr. Mom Butt Balm. Dr. Mom Butt Balm is a pediatrician approved skin protectant free of dyes, preservatives, and zinc oxide. It was developed by a mom who is also a doctor when she couldn't find any traditional products that worked for her baby's persistent diaper rash. Use just a small amount of Dr. Mom Butt Balm to help soothe your baby's skin and feel good about making the right choice. Nothing comes between you and your baby, not even diaper rash. Check out Dr. Mom Butt Balm, available on Amazon or walmart.com. This is a fantastic episode with pediatrician Dr. Amika Obidi, where you are going to learn all that you need to know to help you get off to a great start with your newborn. Welcome to the All About Pregnancy and Birth podcast. I'm Dr. Nicole Calloway-Rankins, a board-certified OBGYN who's been in practice for nearly 15 years. I've had the privilege of helping over 1,000 babies into this world, and I'm here to help you be calm, confident, and empowered to have a beautiful pregnancy and birth. Quick note, this podcast is for educational purposes only and is not a substitute for medical advice. Check out the full disclaimer at drnicolerankins.com forward slash disclaimer. Now let's get to it. Hello there. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. This is episode number 204. Whether this is your first time tuning in or you are a returning listener, I am so, so glad that you are spending some of your time with me today. 
In today's episode, we have Dr. Amika Obidi. He is a board-certified pediatrician who practices in Maryland, where he owns a multi-provider family practice. He's also CEO of Newborn Prep Academy, where he runs an online newborn preparation course that helps both new expectant moms as well as moms who have recently given birth understand how to care for their newborn baby and what to expect so that they can feel confident, empowered, and ultimately enjoy their babies. He obviously clearly loves his work. You will hear the joy for his work come through. And we take a deep dive into what happens with your newborn in the hospital and that first visit after you leave the hospital. So you are going to feel really ready right after your baby is born. So you are going to learn what is the vitamin K shot for, what erythromycin eye ointment is for, what is the hepatitis B vaccine and why is it given at birth? You'll learn the types of exams and tests that are done in the hospital for your baby and why they are done, like the hearing test, testing for jaundice, testing for congenital heart disease. You'll learn what you can expect with weight loss after your baby is born. This is something that Dr. Obedi sees a lot of women get stressed about and probably unnecessarily so, like maybe uh, folks are making too big of a deal of things. And then we also chat about how soon that first visit will be with the pediatrician after you leave the hospital. It's actually very soon. And then how you can make the most of that visit. I love some of the advice that he gives to make this visit really productive and make sure you get everything you need out of that visit to understand how to care for this newborn. We also chat about the role pediatricians play in screening for postpartum depression in moms. They actually check a lot longer than I thought. And then we end with the confident mom's mindset, which I really, 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 really love. And I think you are going to love it too. Now, before we get into the episode, I have to tell you about an upcoming live class that I have coming up. It is on Monday, April 24th. And this class is all about VBAC. VBAC is vaginal birth after success, after cesarean. And if you want to get calm, confident, and empowered for your VBAC, then come join me in this live class. The truth is that too many OB doctors are not telling the truth about VBAC. I don't think it's done with malicious intent. I think some of it comes from not being informed on up-to-date guidelines or having outdated practices, but some of it is straight lying, y'all. And some of the things that I hear are overstating the risk of uterine rupture, saying that you can't receive Pitocin or be induced if you're trying for a VBAC. And VBAC, again, is vaginal birth after cesarean, saying that you can't try for a VBAC after two cesareans or not telling you that the real reason you can't try for a VBAC is because they don't support it, not a medical reason. So you're gonna learn all of the lingo in the class, TOLAC versus VBAC, um, why VBAC calculators are trash, in my opinion, the most important thing you need to do if you wanna try for a VBAC, things that increase success, things that decrease success, evidence-based recommendations, um, what a low intervention VBAC looks like. Good, good, great stuff in this class if you want to have a vaginal birth after having had a cesarean. You can register for the class at drnicolerankins.com forward slash VBAC. And it's gonna be on Monday, April 24th at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time live. All right, I cannot wait to see you there. Okay, let's get into the conversation with Dr. Obedi. Dr. 
Obidi, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast. I am so excited to talk about this topic today. Well, thank you so much for having me, Dr. Rankins. I've been looking forward to chatting with you. Yeah, yeah. So why don't you tell us about yourself, your work, and your family? Sure. So I am husband and father of three. My wife and I have two daughters, age 19 and 15. Crazy how time flies. And Doesn't it though? son who's nine years old, yes. <laughs> so, and I'm a pediatrician. I practice out in Western Maryland. Um, I run a family practice. And, um, and also more recently, have produced content online to help moms who are expecting or recently delivered um, understand what to expect from their newborns, how to care for them confidently so they can really truly enjoy their newborns. And um, that's been lots of fun to do as well. Yeah. Um, and that's under the offices of Newborn Prep Academy. Absolutely. Yeah. And we will link all of your things in the show notes and whatnot, but you all, you should follow him. He pro- produces great videos. His energy is lovely. It's easy oh, to understand. You. So you should definitely go check it out. So let's talk about what training you went through to become a pediatrician. I always like to have experts tell what kind of kind sure. of training you went through. Mm-hmm. Sure. So my medical school journey started in Nigeria, which is where I'm originally from. Okay. And it's a patent after a European system, a British system. So mm-hmm. med school is six years. Oh. And yes, it is. So okay. you go right in from high school, right into med school. Oh. Uh, and it's a six-year program. Okay. So that was that was interesting. It was fun. Um, I actually wanted to be an ophthalmologist all oh. through med school. Yes. We had a family friend who was an ophthalmologist. Right. And she let me come hang out with her during right. my vacation time. I'll see surgeries. I found the eyes so fascinating, beautiful. But then, so the British system, when you're done with med school, you get a provisional license as to practice as a physician, but you have to do a one-year internship where you do three months in OBGYN, three months in surgery, three months in internal medicine, and three months in pediatrics. Okay. And pediatrics was my last rotation. I right. just fell in love with pediatrics. Mm. Like, I was just out of the blues. I wasn't expecting it at all. Right. I had such a wonderful time. Mm. I know it was an under-resourced country, so it wasn't always a pretty sight, right? There are lots sure. of kids who... Could have, you know, had bad outcomes that didn't have to. Mm. But it was just such a rewarding three months. I just said, okay, that's it, pediatrics. Okay. <laughs> and I came over to the States and, um, you know, did all the licensing exams to get into residency. I had a gap year, so I did a master's in public health okay. at Columbia University in New York concentrating in maternal and child health. And okay. that was a really fun year. Yeah. And did my residency in SUNY Downstate in, uh, in Brooklyn, New York. Okay. Yeah. All righty. All righty. And you've been in practice how long? Oh, I've been in practice for um, about 20 years now, 20, 21 years. Okay. I did a one I did one year hospitalist work, pediatric hospitalist uh-huh. work in New York. Uh-huh. And then I came out here to Western Maryland um, to this practice where I've practiced for like 18 years now. <laughs> wow. Okay. All right. I I've love it. I've owned it for the last like nine yeah. years. Yeah. So lots of experience. Lots of experience. Yes. Lots, lots, <laughs> lots, lots of experience. All right. So let's get into what happens in the hospital after your baby is born. I can tell you that obstetricians don't know anything <laughs> about <laughs> what happens. And people ask us, I'm like, we don't know. And people don't realize like once mom and baby are separate, then the pediatrician takes over for the baby like immediately and the OB doesn't do anything mm-hmm. anymore. Um, so let's talk about those things that are going to happen in the hospital after the baby's born. First up, is the vitamin K shot. Yeah. So what is that for? Yeah. Well, I'm glad you mentioned this. I'm going to back up for a second because yeah, please, you're right. Yeah. You know, like 
moms, first of all, I mean, pregnancy in and of itself, I don't have to tell you, it's just a whole journey in and of mm-hmm. itself, right? All kinds of crazy things going on with your body, hormones, the pain, the whatever, right? The baby, mm-hmm. all kinds of worries. And then what I found is most times when moms are also thinking about the baby, they're thinking about like, you know, the baby care and the, you know, nursery and all those yeah. different things and no Diapers one about and, everything yeah. that's going to mm-hmm. happen after the baby's born. So it's really <laughs> great to talk about it because um, I think, and having been in the delivery room several times, it's been a while now since um, the, the, it's taken care of by the neonatologist at a hospital where, at my local hospital, but um, from prior experience, there's just so much going on during delivery. Sure. And I think the baby just pops out and then there's all this stuff going on with the baby and half the time mom is not sure what's going on with the baby because mm-hmm. they're whisked up some other, some other place, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but when the baby is born, so typically you're just going to make sure the baby is fine and most babies are going to be born and be okay, but yeah. some may need some um, little stimulation or some help to recover and transition. Um, I think we're all getting better with trying to recognize that golden hour where we try yeah. and make sure that mom gets some skin to skin time with baby and where we're trying to establish feeding as quickly as possible, especially if she's going to breastfeed mm-hmm. and all of that. So all that's going on. And typically we'll get all that happening first, make sure baby's stable. But then they start, then there are some treatments a baby gets, you know, which yep. are helpful and, and, and for a particular reason. So one is vitamin K you mentioned, mm-hmm. um, and that's a vitamin K shot, an intramuscular shot that's given to the baby because babies, so vitamin K is important for blood clotting, the blood clotting process. Mm-hmm. And babies are born with very low levels of vitamin K. And sometimes l- low enough to cause some significant, serious um, bleeding conditions where you can have bleeding into the brain and cause permanent brain damage, bleeding into the organs. And so to prevent that, one simple shot, one shot of vitamin K will prevent that. And that bleeding can actually occur up to six months after baby is born. Mm, okay. So it's been okay. shown that just that one shot, you know, can prevent that from happening since you're not able to predict what baby might have low enough levels of vitamin K to cause serious significant bleeding. And since the the, the effects of those bleeding can be quite damaging and la- mm-hmm. you know, la- long lasting, it's just um, safer to give all babies vitamin K injection at birth. Gotcha. And why can't they get vitamin K in their diet? Um, so, so a number of reasons. One is you don't get high enough levels um, with oral vitamin K, and especially for newborns because it's very variable how much vitamin K is actually absorbed in the intestinal tract okay. for a newborn. Okay. Um, you know, for an older kid, an adult who has some bleeding issue and a new vitamin K, they're able to take that orally. But for newborns, you don't, you can't trust the levels you get. It's usually very low levels. The vitamin K you get in breast milk is usually very low and not enough to actually prevent vitamin K deficiency. Gotcha. Um, gotcha. So oral vitamin K doesn't do the same thing and doesn't breast milk isn't thing. going to bring the levels up. Will, yeah. will, will formula, if people decide to formula feed, it still doesn't also the have, same? No, it's okay. still the same. Okay. Yeah. It's, that's one of those like weird things to me. Like why are, why are, why are babies, why are we born with low levels of vitamin K? <laughs> like what's like, why, <laughs> you know, but I guess it is what it is. <laughs> You're just thankful for advances in medical care, right? Yes, yes, there's so many yes. conditions that 
advances have helped us be able to better navigate those. Absolutely. Absolutely. And are there any side effects from the vitamin K? Not really. Not really. Yeah. It's well tolerated. Um, No side effects universally given. And so, you know, millions of doses have been given at this point. And I think we're recognizing it. Sure. Okay. All right. Yeah. It's been given since for decades. Yes. Decades. It was like Mm -hmm. 960 something or so. Yeah. (laughs) Yep. 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 Expecting parents who are looking for great nursery decor, this message is for you. As you prepare for the beautiful journey ahead, let Home Threads be your partner in creating a serene nest for your growing family. At HomeThreads.com, explore a collection designed for comfort and style during this special time. From cozy nursery essentials to soothing rocking chairs, Home Threads has everything to create the perfect home for your little one and always at the best value. If you like unique items, then you definitely need to check out Home Threads. We got a silver picture frame from Home Threads that is absolutely beautiful. It's one of those timeless classic items that will last for years to come and it fits in any space in your home. Be sure to visit homethreads.com forward slash Dr. Nicole today and receive a code for 15% off your first order. Home Threads, love where you live. So let's talk about the erythromycin eye ointment. Yes, so the erythromycin eye ointment is given to prevent um, what's called ophthalmia notorium, which is basically just a pink eye in the newborn. So um, a conjunctivitis or eye infection in the newborn. Um, and that again, when you have an infection in the newborn eye, can also be significant also. Mm-hmm. And of course, can threaten eyesight, right? It could be from um, any bacteria. Um, we're most concerned about bacteria, um, gonorrhea or, or chlamydia. Mm-hmm obviously an um, sexually transmitted infection. And so those are sometimes screened for during pregnancy, but not always um, caught. And so that's just a simple, again, treatment that can prevent your baby from getting um, an eye infection that can be damaged into their eyesight. It's a simple um, ointment that just applied once right after birth. Okay. So if this is one of the ones that I've like, I don't know. I've heard that it's not as effective as we think. Like how effective is it at preventing infection? Yeah, yeah. And you know, um, the truth is it's effective, but nothing is 100%. Mm-hmm. And yes, there are some bacteria that may not be covered. I think where where mom has been properly screened mm-hmm. for an, a sexually transmitted infection, mm-hmm. maybe less of an issue mm-hmm. than where maybe that screening wasn't done for whatever reason. Gotcha. Maybe there was spotty prenatal care, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, but again, it's a simple application. It's a simple um, antibiotic ointment. There's really very minimal side effects, if any, some eye irritation mm-hmm. and again, millions of doses have been given at this point and really haven't, um, resulted in any significant uh, side effects sure. that one worries about. Sure, sure. But but the point is taken, you know, as with the number of things we do, none of it is 100%. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And then also, sometimes I do think, I wish we could kind of individualize things more because if you're in a stable, I know we, we often in the medical profession tend to always think the worst in a way. Yeah. <laughs> but if you've been screened for sexually transmitted infections, especially in the third trimester, yeah. and it's negative, then if there's something Less that you feel like 
Yeah, it's mm-hmm. definitely going to be less of an issue for yeah, sure. That's very true. Um, and then what's the third thing that's going to happen? Yes. Yeah, so the third treatment that um, newborns typically get is a hepatitis B vaccine. Mm-hmm. And again, that's just that's the process of getting a newborn vaccinated against hepatitis B. Now, that's another one where, you know, one has to kind of maybe call individualize. One of the reasons we do it in newborn period is, you know, quite a number of percent, quite a percentage of, of, of individuals that have hepatitis B are, not, are unaware they have hepatitis B. Mm. So they don't even know they have the infection, sure. right? And so the baby could potentially be exposed to people who have hepatitis B. Mm-hmm. Now, Transmission of hepatitis B does involve blood and, you know, can also be sexually transmitted. So it's not necessarily something that your newborn is going to get just because they were carried by someone who has hepatitis B, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, you don't know what that exposure could look like. And so newborn in the newborn period, um, you can start that process of getting them um, vaccinated or protected from hepatitis B infection. Yeah. And again, it's one of the ones where I think that and in my practice, I practice the same way. I have open conversations with parents and around vaccines as well. Mm-hmm. And where um, there is some concern, you know, I'm open to listening and um, seeing what. Uh, what we can do to get baby there. But again, none of this is life-threatening per se. <laughs> and so I think it's one of those things where you do provide some con- you know, some information and allow parents to make the best decision for their babies. Yeah. Uh, my husband and I, neither one of our girls, we are very pro, you know, pro-vaccine, yeah. but neither one of them got a B vaccine yeah. in the hospital. And it was just because we were like, I don't know, we, were just, we just sort of felt like they're um, honestly, the pediatricians also were like, we can just do it in the office. Yeah. Like, it's not a big deal. <laughs> really? So, yeah. yeah. I, so, the same thing also. Don't sweat it if you're worried about it. You know, yeah. but I think it's one of the reasons we also do it in the newborn period. Why they're there is a captive audience, mm-hmm. right? Because sometimes the, gen- the the majority of babies are going to make it into the office, sure. but there are going to be some babies who sleep through the cracks, mm-hmm. never make it for whatever socioeconomic issues going on in the family. And so they will have at least gotten some protection before they're out in the world. So again, this is where, you know, individualizing care can be really helpful because if you have a very stable household and parents are, you know, connected to a healthcare system or to, you know, someone who's going to provide care afterwards, it's less of an issue that that's not going to happen down the road should they choose to do so. Sure, sure, sure. So if parents have some concerns about these or want to ask questions, then how should they approach this? Is this something they should ask even during pregnancy or like how should they get all of their yeah. questions and concerns addressed? Yeah, I think so. I think so. And one of the great things, yeah, a lot of pediatricians will still do pre like a prenatal visit mm-hmm. where they can come in and talk about whatever concerns they have, right. get to visit the pediatrician and see if it might be a good fit. Um, so I think that's some place they can certainly get information, you know, it's just the local pediatrician. Sure. Um, and, and I know it, some information is provided at the hospital. <laughs> Again, I think there's so much going on when a mom is in labor right. that I don't know how much she actually <laughs> yes. really takes this. Yes. <laughs> like, sign, just tell me where to sign. Right. Just sign wherever. Right. Let's get this this party on the road because uh yeah I need to get this baby out yeah exactly <laughs> so um I think um where they're able to get information ahead of time and really think through this um carefully I think it'll be great or this yeah. is something for instance that and y'all I'm not affiliated with his class or anything like that but this is something that would be included in like a newborn absolutely. Prep, prep class or should be <laughs> that oh, you can absolutely should yeah. be absolutely mm-hmm. should be and we may talk about this later on but I do have a newborn preparation course that lays all of this out mm-hmm. but again it's 
getting that information ahead of time before, so you can really think about it. And actually, you know, we talk about informed consent. Mm-hmm. Um, for it to be informed consent, you have to be informed <laughs> and be in the right mindset to actually yes. digest information <laughs> and consent to or not to, yes. you know, partake in something. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So those are the ones that are done fairly soon after birth. What other exams and tests are done in the hospital yeah. for babies? Yeah, I think this is where it's really great that, you know, we've advanced the place we have in medical care. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a number of other screenings that are done mm-hmm. um, while the baby is still in the hospital, typically. Sure. One of them is a, is a hearing screen. Um, so that's a universal program. All babies get screened, get the hearing screen. Um, and it's great because you can pick up babies who have a hearing deficit very early on where you can actually intervene and make a significant difference in their outcome down the road. Okay. Hearing is very important to be able to develop speech. Mm-hmm. And so if a baby is not hearing properly and that's not caught early, um, that can interfere with speech and also maybe limit the options that they have in terms of being able to uh, provide some support sure. with their hearing. Sure. Um, how often do babies, I'm sorry, go ahead. You, it sounds like you were going to answer my question. I was going to ask <laughs> well, how many babies saying, have trouble with the hearing screen? I was going to say most of the vast majority of babies actually will pass a hearing screen, have no issues. And actually of those, and a majority of babies who don't pass the hearing screen, I'm not quite sure what the exact numbers are now, but just from experience, majority of those babies who don't pass the initial screen and they're usually screened twice at the hospital they fail it the each ear is screened if either of them fail they screen again a second time if they still fail that screen then they're referred to get a proper hearing screen at an audiologist's office uh, um, down the road a couple mm-hmm. weeks down the road but most of those babies end up passing that screen it's okay. usually due to just some fluid amniotic fluid still in the canal interrupting or interfering with the test and sure. a few weeks down the road, that's cleared and they pass that screen. But of course, you know, the whole reason for a universal screen, um, such as a hearing test uh, screen that is very innocuous to the baby, doesn't, you know, um, you're not, um, what's the right word right now, it's not intrusive. Um, right. You're able to catch those babies that truly do need that help. Yeah. And if it's not done universally, there's no way of knowing, sure. you know, catching those babies until it's too late. Sure, perhaps. sure, sure. Okay, so the hearing screen is one. What else happens? It's one, yes. And then the other is um, the newborn, a newborn screen that's done. And that's um, a universal program. Every state, the state programs, every state is slightly different, mm-hmm. but it contains a battery of tests that are done um, from a, just a few drops of blood that typically will be gotten just from pricking your baby's um, heel. And that's sent to a state lab where it's screened for um, a battery of, or, or a list of disorders that typically are not easily recognizable at birth, mm-hmm. but if you can recognize them or pick them up at birth, you can provide treatment or interventions that provide a significant improvement in outcome. Sure. So that may be picking up some metabolic disorders where you have to feed a certain kind of formula to prevent that from progressing. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, or maybe where you can pick up a thyroid disorder where you can provide, you know, thyroid hormone as a supplementation sure. so it doesn't affect growth. You know, so a number of those conditions, gotcha. um, sickle cell disease, a number, quite a long list of conditions that are screened for in the newborn screen. So that's one. And usually that's done 24 hours after the first feed because okay. part of the test is trying to see how your body metabolizes proteins and carbohydrates uh, and fats. Okay. So it's done 24 hours after that first feed. Gotcha. And typically a second one is done 
eight days to a month out to confirm the t- initial test to make sure nothing was missed. Okay. And that's usually done in the pediatrician's office. So that's in your one screen. Uh-huh. And then more recently, um, which is also, again, I think becoming universal now, is screening for congenital heart disease. Mm-hmm. A very simple um, um, screen. They typically will just hook up a pulse oximeter just to measure your oxygen levels. Um, one in the upper extremity, like the hand, the hands, and one in the lower extremity on the same side, like the foot, and see if there's a difference in the oxygen levels. They should be really close together. If they're you know past a certain cutoff point um, difference, then that cues you in that it may be a congenital issue, sure. uh, heart disease where. Um, our blood is not circulating in the right way to provide oxygen equally around, you know, both upper and lower extremities. So that's a very simple test. That's also done, um, a screen that's done at the hospital. And the last one is screening for jaundice. Okay. Right, um, which is uh, the yellowing that you can see on the mm-hmm. skin of the eye caused by bilirubin. And that's also one of those things also that moms are like, I don't know, what's jaundice? I know it's yellowing of the eye and blah, right. blah, blah. Right. But simply... Um, what jaundice is really simply is um, our old red blood cells get broken down by the body and gotten rid of while new ones are produced. And those old red blood cells, when they break down, one of the things they break down into is bilirubin, which is this substance that can cause a yellow tinge to the skin or to the eyes. And the reason we worry about it is because at very high levels, that can be damaging to the brain. Mm. And in newborns, they can't, all of us can't get rid of bilirubin the way it's initially produced or initially produced when the red blood cells are broken down. Mm-hmm. We have to convert it to a form we can get rid of in the pee and the poop. So your baby oftentimes doesn't have enough enzymes to convert all that bilirubin that's floating around in the system. Mm-hmm. And over the next few hours and days, produces more enzymes to get rid of that jaundice. Mm-hmm. And so depending on how high those levels are and if there are other issues, complicating matters, maybe um, some bleeding that may produce more red blood cells being broken down, producing more bilirubin, sure. those can get to really high levels. And so all newborns are now screened for jaundice um, before they leave the hospital, usually in the first 24 hours as well, okay. to see if those levels are levels that are acceptable or if they're levels we need to watch more carefully or if they're really high levels where they need intervention right away. Mm-hmm. Got it. Got it. Yeah, so those are the four screens that you usually will have at most hospitals. Okay. And then what are the interventions for elevated bilirubin? So um, for the therapy is the main way that's taken care of, especially if it's not critically high mm-hmm. where you now have to do what's called an exchange blood transfusion where you're taking blood out of the baby and putting fresh blood in, those happen like when it's really critically high. Right. Uh, but most of the jaundice is caught before it gets there. And for the therapy is a way to take care of that. And so your baby is put under some light for the therapy lights that have a particular wavelength that do the same thing the enzymes do. So they break down that bilirubin into a form that the baby cannot get rid of in the pee and the poop. Okay. And so that usually is how you'll take care of that. And, you know, you, we're also told, you know, you could put a baby out in the sun, uh-huh. you know, indirect sunlight so it's indirect sunlight you want them covered you don't want them to get a um, sunburn right Um, but those usually if the levels are really high just indirect sunlight would not be concentrated enough light to take care of the jaundice gotcha gotcha Hey, so you made it this far in the episode, and I'm thinking it's because you enjoyed this podcast. Well, if that's the case, then I have a favor to ask. 
Creating and producing the All About Pregnancy into Birth podcast has been one of the greatest joys of my life. I'm so grateful to have each and every one of you on this journey with me. Your support and engagement means the world to me, and it's what helps keep this podcast going. But here's the thing. Producing a podcast involves time, effort, and resources from recording equipment to an editor, hosting fees, coordinating guests, countless hours spent researching and crafting content. It all adds up. And that's where I could use your support. I've never wanted to turn all about pregnancy and birth into a paywall. I want it to remain accessible to everyone. That's why I've set up a way for you to support the show financially if you're able and willing. If this podcast has helped you during your pregnancy, your birth, or your life, I'm asking you to consider contributing to the show. Your support will help cover production and team costs and ensure that I can continue delivering the episodes you love. So in the month of March, head to drnicolerankins.com forward slash support and contribute whatever you can. Your support, no matter how big or small, makes a significant impact. It helps us continue delivering high quality content and ensures the future of all about pregnancy and birth. Again, that's drnicolerankins.com forward slash support. Thank you so much for being part of the All About Pregnancy and Birth community. Now back to the show. to talk about. And I know, I'm sure that this gets mom's parents really worried. What can they expect with their baby's weight after the baby is born? Oh, I'm so glad you asked that because that's one of those things. You know, I just feel like there's so much, I mean, caring for a newborn is just so exhausting. Mm -hmm. There's just so much going on. It's really tasking. Mm -hmm. And I feel there are all these small things that kind of eat at a mom's like reserve mm -hmm. that if you can just clear them all, she can at least has have more bandwidth to deal with the real stress of caring sure. for a newborn. <laughs> <laughs> and one of them is this, because a lot of moms are really unprepared for the fact that the newborn is going to lose weight. Mm -hmm. And so almost every newborn is going to lose weight the first few days. Okay. And most moms are going to go immediately to the place of, oh my God, I'm not providing enough food for my baby. Uh -huh. My breast milk is not enough. Sure. You know, they're not taking the formula or whatever. Sure. Right. And which is usually not the case in most cases. Mm -hmm. So newborns um, lose weight. And the reason is, you know, it takes a few days for moms to ramp up breast milk production. Mm -hmm. You can imagine how uncomfortable it will be for a mom who's already uncomfortable in being pregnant, having to carry around breasts that are full of milk and gosh the whole time right. she's pregnant, right? Just, you know, the nature understands that that's, that's not going to be good. <laughs> we'll probably just stop having babies. <laughs> <laughs> and so babies actually come with some extra on board, some extra calories on board to help them through that transition period sure. and they're actually allowed to lose for most healthy babies allowed to lose up to 10% of their of their bed birth weight okay um and usually by 7 to 10 days they're back up to birth weight got it and so they have a few extra calories to tie them through uh, it's beautiful how nature works right um their fat cells are a different kind of fat called brown fat that produces more energy so okay it's them again provides energy during those first several days uh -huh. and beyond uh, mommy's breast milk the initial few teaspoons of breast milk you can get from the breast mm -hmm. called colostrum mm -hmm. has lots of calories packed in it already again to tide 
um, a baby through that period. So um, just to say that babies will all lose weight, um, for moms not to worry when they're told the weight on day two and is less than what it was the day before. It's sure. not because you're not feeding them well. It's not because of any of those things most times. It's just um, just a normal physiological process of adjusting to a new world and getting you know ready to feed baby. Gotcha. So you don't need to, if you're breastfeeding and you want to breastfeed exclusively, then you don't necessarily need to start formula yeah. just because yes you don't necessarily need to start formula because mm-hmm. the lost weight a few separate days and you know that's where monitoring a baby closely can be helpful because we can tell oh this is acceptable weight loss we don't have to worry about it sure you know, we have time and even sure. when they get to 10 percent mm-hmm. um, i'm still able to look at a mom and say and see how breastfeeding is going maybe observe the latch and see I think things are okay here. I think we just need a few more days because some babies will get back to their birth weight at like two weeks past birth gotcha. and still be okay. Gotcha. So I think, yeah, gotcha. um, no rush, no no need necessarily to rush immediately to formula if you want to exclusively breast. Okay, okay, okay. You seem to take a very like, um, what's the, I don't want to say lay back because you obviously take it seriously, but you also don't want to make people like anxious yeah, about yeah. like and yeah. get all like worked up yeah. about the things. I think yeah. because most times there's no reason to. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean, you know, in the walk you do, right? You'll see a mom who is, who is in a critical condition and you can recognize her right away. And there's no mm-hmm. like, you know, let's mm-hmm. take some time to get her to the emergency room. Mm-hmm. I mean, both our daughters were C-section, well, all our kids were C-section, but the first one obviously was the first time. And I had like newfound respect for you, OBGYN. <laughs> because even as a pediatrician, as a physician, I was shocked at how quickly we got to that, that, uh, that OR. Right, right, right. <laughs> how quickly that baby was out. Right. Cause you know, um, her heart rate was just dropping. And so there's no wasting time when it's warranted, mm-hmm. right? When it's needed. Mm-hmm. But, but a lot of times the things that issues we, 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 we face and we see, there's leeway to sure. really think about it, you know, and talk through it and see what can be done. And even where something needs to be done urgently, we don't need to get mom all flustered. Sure. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You can convey the yeah. seriousness without yeah. like without, being yeah. dramatic about it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. 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 Okay. So once baby leaves the hospital, I think this is another thing that people aren't prepared for. How soon will that first pediatrician's <laughs> visit be? <laughs> that is true. So I would say, generally speaking, it's going to be that first week. Mm-hmm. Most times, the first two to three days. Mm-hmm. Sometimes even the very next day. Mm. So it really depends on what's going on with the baby. Like uh-huh. if you have a baby who's lost quite some weight and you're worried and you want to kind of just watch them carefully, it may be the very next day. Sure. Or another case would be a baby who had jaundice and was significant enough to either treat or maybe it's sort of on the fence where you might or might not treat. You might want to see them the very next day to repeat those levels, make sure it's fine. Um, so there's some instances where you want to see the baby right away, like the very next day. Most times it's going to be two, three days out um, to monitor their weight, see how they're doing. Um, but it does take a few, usually within that first week, all gotcha. babies should be seen. Okay. Yeah. And then is there anything that you recommend parents do in order to like make the most of that first visit and feel good yeah, at that first visit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a few simple things they could do. Yeah. Um, one I would say is, um, and this will start right after the baby is born, um, as those questions start to come up, 
open up a note app, you know, on your phone or someplace and start to just put all those questions down. Sure. Because you're going to forget half of them when you come into the office. (laughs) And then you remember them right after you left. Right after you leave (laughs) in the parking lot. (laughs) So you do want to sort of put all those questions down so you can ask them, you know, when you are with a pediatrician or whoever's seeing the baby. Um, You want to really, as much as I, I really want to encourage moms and dads to bring in that discharge paperwork mm-hmm. um, that they're given at the hospital. Okay. Um, half the time is forgotten at home. Got it. But it has really important information for the pediatrician. Okay. It has a birth weight, which most moms and dads will remember, um, but also has a discharge weight, which is really important because then we can tell, okay, they were discharged two days ago. Ah. This was their weight. This is what it is today. We're still fine. We're still within whatever, Got it. right? Okay. Um, yeah. So that's really important. It might have... Yeah, you know, bilirubin levels, if those were done, mm-hmm. might have other concerns that the um, pediatrician or whoever saw them at the hospital, you know, was worried about or just wanted to highlight, mm-hmm. you know, so all that is on there. So I really want to encourage them to bring that discharge paperwork in with them. Mm-hmm. Um, make sure you know where you're going to for, your, for the office visit. <laughs> <laughs> and give yourself time. Yes. Uh, typically, there's a lot of paperwork to do. Yes. And you want to give yourself time. Yes, and you, have you got to pack up all the stuff. Who's probably going to have a blowout right <laughs> as you're walking out the door. Yes. And you have to go back in and change them. Yep. <laughs> all that drama. Mm-hmm. So give yourself enough time to get there. Mm-hmm. And then just dress them in something simple. Because you're going to be stripping them, them down to uh-huh. their diaper. So no fancy clothes. Because it's all going to come off. Sure. And they're not always the easiest of close to manipulate sure. in a newborn that especially for first-time parents yeah. they're really afraid they're gonna break the baby right. so just keep it simple <laughs> keep it simple yeah <laughs> keep it simple. those are a few maybe helpful things that i will say that something else i found very helpful and i always tell parents this all the time is um your phone is like my best friend because mm. you can take pictures of things you can take video recordings of things my baby's breathing funny. Just record it. It's much easier for me to see the recording and see if it's an issue or not than you trying to describe what it looked like or sounded like. Um, the baby's poop looks funny. Just take a picture of it, right? And it just helps. See, I love that because some doctors are so like anti, I don't want to, you know, I don't need to see all that. I, that is great. Like, why would you not use it makes it easier. that? Yes. <laughs> yes. You can give people reassurance very quickly, very quickly. or yeah, or know yeah, that it's an issue, an issue very quickly. Yeah. So I love that. I love that. Um, okay. So one thing that I've seen more and more, and I think the American Academy of Pediatrics talks about this too, how do you play a role in screening for postpartum depression? Because you're almost always going to see moms sooner than we do. Yeah. yeah. Um, so all the all moms are screened mm-hmm. at that first visit and actually at every well child checkup up to six months. So really? Like yes. Yeah, so at the first visit, it's at, you know, the one month, two month, four month, six month visit. Right? I did not and know that. Okay. Farm, um, it's the Edinburgh uh-huh. um, test uh-huh. that we use. Um, and I will say this is one where I've started to pay more attention to, especially since I started to do some more work around educating moms around newborns uh-huh. um, and talking more closely to moms and realizing that um, a number of times, you know, postpartum depression goes unrecognized mm-hmm. by providers. Mm-hmm. You know, moms put on a brave face when they come mm-hmm. in and they, you know, kind of pretend like everything is okay. Mm-hmm. You're supposed to be happy because you so, have this new baby. Be happy. Mm-hmm. You have a newborn baby. I mean, what's not to be happy about, mm-hmm. right? And so they can just feel, there can be a lot of shame around mm-hmm. 
postpartum depression, mm-hmm. which unfortunately ends up like making it something that um, becomes difficult to provide help. Sure, for. sure, yeah. sure. So I, I do really look carefully at those screens. Mm-hmm. And also, even when the screens don't seem to match what I'm seeing, <laughs> go beyond and yes. say, oh, everything's okay. Yes. But yeah, yes. it's important. Gotcha. To get gotcha. To the and do you feel like you have resources that you know where to send people? Because that can be hard too. It, that can be hard. That can be hard. Um, I think that the primary care provider is one resource mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, it's, especially if it's significant because they can provide some support there. I try and talk to, to talk to them about therapy, especially if there's also been a history of depression or yeah. anxiety already. Right. Um, sometimes it's helpful because they already have, you know, a mental health provider they're mm-hmm. connected to. Mm-hmm. And so encouraging them to really reach out if they need more help. Sure. But you're right. I think it's one of those things where, Maybe more help could be done. Yeah, I will tell you. I had I did an in a podcast interview uh, months ago with a lady who lives in Sweden. Okay, and after the baby is born, every mom gets assigned a community health nurse who visits her for the first year after the baby is born. The first year, Doctor. Are you serious? <laughs> I'm not kidding you. I was like, what? <laughs> the first year, and they have the lady's te- cell phone to text her. She's dropping in, you know, several times the first month, and then monthly after that. Like, so there's such a, you know, th- you really have someone that keeps an eye on you to see, make sure you're fine, help you to transition. Hopefully, we'll get there sometime. Oh my god, that's because they actually value people and yes. families, whereas yeah. in the U.S. we yeah. don't the yeah. way we should. Oh yeah. my god. Okay. Yeah. So, All but right. You're right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So the last thing I want to talk about is the confident mom's mindset. I love this how you how you frame this. I think this is really important. So please share share that with us. Sure. I think we just mocking with moms, and you know, in the last several years, I just realized although I love all of pediatrics and still do. I particularly enjoy just taking care of newborn, mm-hmm. new new moms and newborns. And I've noticed that from just carefully observing the patients I've taken care of and walked with, which has been thousands of moms at this point, that the moms that seem to thrive the most mm-hmm. in the, that initial period, I think just have a different mindset mm. coming into it. And I've tried to sort of break this down into three kind of legs to the stool. Right. And one is, first of all, just recognizing that you're the best mom for your baby. Yes. It's a simple statement, but I think one that a mom really needs to sit with, right? You're the yes. best mom for your baby. It's not the mom next door. It's not your sister. It's not your mother. It's you, yes. right? Whether that baby came to you by natural birth or adoption, you are the best mom for your baby. You know, things have worked out where you get to care for this newborn. Mm-hmm. And you shouldn't feel like you're not enough. Mm-hmm. or don't have enough to care for that baby. Mm-hmm. Which leads to the second, you know, tenant that says that um, you've got what it takes to care for your baby. Mm. You've got, you have absolutely everything you have to take care of the baby. There might be information that you don't have, but then you have agency to go get that information, right? Yes. Um, so no one's saying you have to know every single thing about a newborn, but where you need information, you can also get it also. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't mm-hmm. have to rely on somebody else to make all those decisions for you or to like, you know, guide you. You get what you need. Yes. But knowing that you are more than enough to to provide what that baby needs. Mm-hmm. And the third will be that you're in charge of a baby's care. 
And I truly feel, and this may be controversial, but I truly feel that your baby gets to actually adapt to you and not the other way around. Listen. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I really <laughs> truly believe that. You know, <laughs> some moms may throw things at me, but I say, what do we know? <laughs> but I think that's where it works best, yeah. right? Um, because we're all different. I think I find that lots of moms that are super stressed are trying to conform to what they feel is the right way to care for this baby, mm-hmm. right? The baby should be, but it should be the other way around, right? Um, so if you have the mom who is really very regimented and likes everything on a schedule, your baby actually falls in line very quickly. Mm. And they get into a schedule, we feed in, we feed out, because no no mom is going to ignore that baby, sure. <laughs> uh, right? Sure. Um, the majority, right? Sure. So um, your baby can really adapt to your way of showing up in the world. If your mom who's just carefree and loves to do things, you know, as they pop up, your baby will fall in line with also, and you'll feel on demand, and it'll be okay. <laughs> I really, and I think that that way you can really parent from a very authentic place mm-hmm. and a very a more comfortable place. It's already a very stressful period, right. and trying to change yourself into somebody else for this newborn, I think, just sets you up for just a very horrible experience. Uh- I'm going to have to agree with you. And it doesn't mean that you're not meeting the needs of your child or that you won't adjust if you need to sometimes, but you're starting from the place of you are coming into our family and this is how we as a family are going to make this work. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. You're so right. You will adapt to the baby's needs. You know, that's just mother instincts, right? Yes. Um, But you're not bending yourself into a pretzel yes or changing who you are to all of a sudden yeah yeah yeah, exactly exactly all right so as we wrap up what is one of them you know these are questions i ask everyone what is the most frustrating part of your work um i think i just want to say it's when i just feel moms in in the context of of newborn care are just not getting information they need Mm -hmm. where they or where they also feel, and I will, I try to create that environment as much as possible where a mom feels like she cannot ask the questions mm. she wants to ask. You know, I, you know, I'm just supposed to keep quiet and just listen to whatever you say and not challenge any of that or ask any questions. Mm-hmm. I think it's just frustrating when there isn't that openness sure. in that relationship between the parents and between a, a patient and, and a physician. Sure, sure, sure. And then on the flip side, what's the most rewarding part of your work? Oh, it's pediatrics. What's not to love? (laughs) (laughs) I get to see cute babies all day long, cute kids all day long. I get to, which is really rewarding because especially when I've done it as long as I have, Mm -hmm. to see kids grow. And you remember when they were born and now they're teenagers, now their voices are broken and they're young ladies. I'm like, where did time go? Right, right, right. right. I have so many, so many patients now who are coming back with their own babies. I'm like, no, I'm not that old. Yeah, isn't it just a great feeling when you love your work and you feel like you're in the place where you're exactly supposed to be? Yeah, doing doing the work that you were put on this earth to do. Very much so. Yeah. So, what is your favorite piece of advice that you would give to expectant moms or expectant parents? Yeah, I think it will go back to mindset. Just Mm -hmm. saying, you know, it really affects a lot of things we do, and I don't think we realize just in a lot of personal development work over the last several years, realize how critical mindset is, and Mm -hmm. I think. In the midst of getting all the other things ready with the nursery and the baby gear and diapers and what we're going to use, the cloth or not, and all that, taking time to really prepare your mind mm-hmm. and your emotions for what's about to happen. Yep. And because I think you just, 
come at it, you just end up being a more centered person when your newborn arrives. Sure, sure. So just not sure. relegating it to something, some woo-woo thing, but really taking time to think through it. You know, how am I going to show up? Um, okay, this is going to be difficult. Mm-hmm. What are my resources? Mm-hmm. You know, how am I going to be able to navigate this period? Just thinking through some of the things that end up just hitting you, <laughs> like you're blindsided by yeah. if you don't think yeah. about it beforehand. Yeah, I love that. I love that. And that's going to that's gonna set you up for, you know, the journey of parenthood because the newborn period is just the start. And it really sets you up in life, you know, yeah, to manage things that happen so. for sure. Yeah, for sure. So where can people find you? What are all of the things you have to offer? Tell us all the things. Sure. <laughs> sure. Um, one good place would just be newbornprepacademy.com. So it's newbornprepacademy.com. Um, I have some free resources on there, how to choose the right pediatrician for your baby. I have a confident new mom guide that kind of goes through some of what we talked about today. Mm-hmm. And for those who really need more support and I think really want to prepare themselves for the newborn. Um, I offer the newborn preparation course. Um, it's a four-module course that really just goes through all of this, you know, the mindset, what your baby's poop is supposed to look like, what breastfeeding looks like, and formula feeding, and if you want to do both, how to do it successfully, and all the different things, how to take care of circumcision and the umbilical cord and all of that. It's, uh, it's really a very helpful course, I think, prepares you for your newborn. And it can be found on social media, on Instagram at Dr. OBD, so it's D-R-O-B-I-D-I, or on Facebook at Dr. Emeka OBD. Awesome. D-R-E-M-E-K-A-O-B-I-D-I. Okay, thank you so much. This was incredibly useful. I appreciate you coming on. This was great information. Uh, thank you so much for having me on, Dr. Nicole. It was really wonderful chatting with you today. Wasn't that a great conversation? Can't you just hear the joy that he has in his work? I love it when I get to connect with people who are as excited about their work as I am. There's just such joy and pleasure in being able to do work that you so love. And he clearly loves this work and just gave some great information there. Now, you know, after every episode, when I have a guest on, I do something called Dr. Nicole's Notes, where I talk about my top takeaways from the conversation. Here are my Dr. Nicole's Notes from my conversation with Dr. Obedi. Number one is understanding what's going to happen in the newborn period really should be a part of preparing for the postpartum period. And it should start in the third trimester. We do not do a good enough job of helping people get prepared for having this new baby. And Yes, people do registries and baby showers. And of course, all of those things are fun and necessary and rituals around having a baby. But you also need to understand like a a bit about how to take care of this new person that you're going to have. And it doesn't have to be complicated or involved. It's just helpful to sort of know what to expect, just like childbirth education. So definitely start thinking about doing a newborn prep class somewhere in your third trimester. Again, they don't have to be very extensive or long, but it just helps you to have a sense of what to expect when this new baby is coming. Okay, number two, as I said in the episode, my husband and I actually declined the hepatitis B vaccine in the hospital for both of our children. Not that we're anti-vaccine, we're all vaccinated, our children are vaccinated against all the things. But for us, it just felt like we don't understand why our child needs this right now when they are not at risk of being around anybody who has hepatitis B. And our girls are 13 and 15 now. And at the time, our pediatricians were like, this is no big deal. You know, you can just get it done in the office. I think 
some pediatricians' attitudes have shifted and they may not be as flexible about it. I, I, I'm sort of, that's sort of my gestalt just from hearing what people say online. I can't say that that's necessarily true. But um, for us, it just didn't feel, I don't know, it just didn't feel like it was something that needed to be done right away. It got done like at their, like a, at a later visit. And honestly, looking back, I would probably also decline the erythromycin eye ointment. It's really given to help reduce the risk of gonorrhea or chlamydia in the eye. And if you're confident that you don't have those things, then your baby's not going to get them. So I probably would have declined those as well. Um, we had conversations with our pediatricians. And again, at the time, that was all fine. Now, I'm saying all this to say that I really wish in our system that we would take a more individualized approach in the context of population health. Like doing vaccines and doing things on a schedule is important in terms of population health. And when you look at things like syphilis, for instance, there's been a big increase in neonatal syphilis recently. That's a big population health problem. And some of that can be um, reduced by testing or screening for syphilis more consistently in the third trimester. That's Syphilis, by the way, would not be prevented by the eye ointment. The eye ointment is really for gonorrhea and chlamydia. And quite frankly, it doesn't work that well, to be honest with you. So I say all that to say is that I wish we would take a more individualized approach to the way we care for people and have conversations and be more trusting, I guess, that people are going to make decisions that work best for them. So that's just my two cents about making those sort of choices and decisions. This also filtered into when we did vaccines as they got older, it didn't feel right for us to do like five shots at once and that kind of thing. So we sort of spaced them out. So we kind of made our own schedule, which I know irritates the blank out of <laughs> pediatricians, but we did, we did what felt, what felt best for us and you should do the same. Okay. Third thing is I just love that confidence mom's mindset. You really are the best mother for your child. I like to say that our children choose who their mothers are. And the, the combination of the sperm and egg that came together to make your child was right for you. You are the best mother for your child. So really believe that and internalize that. And I also really like the advice that Yes, your children need to adapt to your life to some extent. You don't need to upend your whole existence because you suddenly have a child, all right? And that's not to say that things won't change or that you won't adjust things in your life in order to meet the needs of your child. Of course you will. But you should not upend your entire existence for your children. Your children need to fit to a large degree into your own life. I think that that is very um, important and helps create a healthy, balanced family and environment. And that can look like different ways. Like for example, if you traveled a lot before you had a baby, some people continue to travel after they have a baby. Just because they have a baby, that doesn't mean that they don't suddenly do the things that they used to enjoy. If you like to eat out, then people still continue to eat out after they have a baby. They just bring the baby with them or find a babysitter. So you certainly need to have children adapt to your life. That That's really important in order to keep everybody happy. Okay, so there you have it. Do me a solid. Share this podcast with a friend. Sharing is caring. Helps me reach and serve more pregnant folks. And I appreciate you doing that. Also subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening to me right now. Helps the show to grow. 
leave a review in Apple podcast. I love to hear what you think. You can also let me know what you think by DMing me on Instagram. I just love it when I get those messages and I try to respond to as many as I can. When folks let me know what the podcast has done for them and how it has impacted them, it really just warms my heart and helps to keep me going on those days when things can get a little bit stressful. So that's DMing me, DM me on Instagram at Dr. Nicole Rankins. And don't forget about the VBAC class. That's drnicolerankins.com forward slash VBAC. That class will be Monday, April 24, 7 p.m. live Eastern Standard Time. So if you are wanting to have a VBAC, do join me there. So that is it for this episode. Do come on back next week and remember that you deserve a beautiful pregnancy and birth. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.